Good evening. And if you're just tuning in, you are listening to 105.3 and 107.7 out of the beautiful city of New Orleans, Louisiana, to the Angel Rock. And I'm your host, Laura Lee Potvin. If you've never heard the show before or been part of the audience, I'll explain that in a minute. We already got Jonathan, JK47 Paranormal Investigations here. Hey, Jonathan. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a host of two shows on the network here. My name is Laura Lee Potvin. Uh, this one, the Angel Rock, and Thursday nights, I co-host with my wonderful friend and amazing psychic and medium, David Hansel, at 7 p.m. Eastern, the thing at the foot of the bed. I am a Canadian a spiritual medium, a crystal Reiki energy healer, Akashic Records practitioner, a spiritual teacher and mentor. I'm also a budding animal communicator, well-versed in the paranormal, and I'm a registered nurse. And as if you've been to the show before, you've heard me talk about this many times, professionally and personally, I have studied near-death experiences for over 40 years, and I had one as a toddler. And I'm going to introduce my amazing guest in just a few minutes. You know, I always start it with a bit of a, the few housekeeping things that we have. So if you like what you see, please like, share, and subscribe and share it with all your friends and family. There's something for everybody here on this network. It's been around for over 25 years. We have multiple shows streaming seven days a week. And when we're not streaming live, um, the archive server randomly picks shows over the last 25 years. And like I say, we have topics and shows for everybody here. So please help us out and, and share it with all your friends. Also, this network has its own TV channel. And if you'd like to watch, I'm streaming the, I think, last night this month and then we'll see what we do with this show but we are on roku so if you want to find the channel and watch it on your tvs what you do is you go to the channel store and you type in ufo space p as in paranormal there's a drop down list we're about the third or fourth one down and you're looking for ufo space paranormal and united public radio and there's many of the other shows that also stream on our network channel so check it out we also stream the thing at the foot of the bed there as well now you're going to see me say hello to people in the comments we have a great audience we love all the people that support our network and my shows especially I want to give a huge thank out thank you to everyone um, but if you want to join the conversation, 80% of our audience is audio only. So I can't see if they've got a comment or not, but we'd love to have you join the discussion. How you can do that is you can head over to UFO, Paranormal and United Public Radio on YouTube and Facebook. I'm streaming on my YouTube channel, which is the Angel Rock with Laura Lee Potvin. We're streaming on Canada's Most Haunted. And I actually forgot to do this as I'm talking. I got to start this. Hang on, guys. We're streaming on uh, Instagram. How could I forget? I got so involved here. Usually I remember right away. So the, those are the places you can comment. I'll be able to see it. Just so you know, it, uh, they're still working out the bugs with Instagram and StreamYard. So I have to keep popping over to Instagram if you're commenting. So if I don't see you right away, I'll keep popping in and I'll say hi to you. And if you've got questions or comments, try to address those. I think I've remembered everything. I usually forget something. But I'm going to introduce our illustrious guest here. He's got an interesting book that we're going to talk about, but he's had quite a career. His name is uh, William Wilson Quinn. He's an alumnus of the University 
University of Arizona with a Bachelor of Arts in 1970 in Literature and Writing. In 1978, he earned the degree of an, a Master's in Religious Studies from the University of Chicago's Divinity School, where he was a protege of Professor, I hope I say this right, Messia Eliade, and therefore earned the PH, uh, PhD from the University of Chicago's hum Humanities Division in Philosophy. In 1890, sorry, 1989, he earned the degree of GD uh, from Arizona State University. So he has a law degree, but this man has quite a career. I was quite impressed reading, and that's why I'm reading out his total biography here. From 1973 to 1978, Mr. Queen Quinn was employed by the Theos, boy, I knew I was going to screw up these words tonight. My mouth was not going to cooperate <laughs> by the Theosophical Society in America, where he joined in the year 1969. He was the first assistant editor and thereafter the editor of the American the Theosophist and then later Quest magazine and an associate editor uh, with the publishing house in Wheaton. Since his first publication in 1971, after leaving university, he, he has published three books, one being a revision of his doctoral dissertation in 1997, titled The Only Tradition, about the Phil Philosophia Perennis in the writings of Ananda K. I'm not even going to, I'll let you talk about that afterwards, Bill. <laughs> and um, from 19... In 1987, Mr. Quinn was an ethno-historian for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, applying his graduate training in tribal religion to anthropological and ethno-historical inquiries into American Indian groups seeking federal acknowledgement. Following the law school, or following law school, Mr. Quinn was in private practice for over 10 years in Phoenix, specializing in federal Indian law, first as a partner in the firm of Shea and Wilkes, and later as of counsel in the firm of Snell and Wilmer. I, he, so I wanted to start out with this part of his biography. He's written, as you can hear, quite a bit, but he's got a very interesting book that we're going to be talking about tonight, and it is called The Higher Spiritual Path. So welcome, Bill. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you very much, Laurie. I'm glad I, to be here. I'm sorry. I look, went over your bio ahead of time, and I went, oh, crap. I know my mouth's going to, it's going to quit on me when I start reading these words. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, more, there are more tongue twisters in there than there ought to be. That's why I skipped, because I would have kept <laughs> Going on and on, you you've had a very illustrious, very illustrious career, including in a variety of areas. And when our friend Gavin Lee Davies, I always try to give him a shout out from the publishing company with your book. He always sends me the best guests with the best backgrounds. And when I saw what your book was written about, I was like, oh yes, this is right up my alley. So I'm going to go back a little bit, but what got you into your, like, that's quite a difference between, you know, practicing law and then from the theosophical side. How did, how did you get into all that? What, what, what led you there? Well, I think uh, I first got into it by virtue of the fact that in 1965, at the beginning of the hippie experience in North That's America. when I was born. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, the hippie experience was globally, mostly in English-speaking countries, but it was a global phenomenon. Right. 
Um, there was at that point uh, a really strong emphasis on spirituality, spiritual development, mm -hmm. the importation of Eastern religions, people like, uh, you know, Baba Ram Das, who was mm -hmm. actually Richard Alpert, who was an associate of Timothy Leary, the whole psychedelic experience, all of that uh, sort of coalesced around and became the, uh, the hippie experience. I actually wrote a book about that called uh, The Articles of Aquarius. And I think it might be listed in there. That was one of my, actually I had four books published, not three. That's a mistake in the bio that the, the press sent out. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no, your fault, that's the press. Anyway, one of those books was about the hippie experience, but that is where I got my start in a sense in spiritual development, yoga, meditation, um, and the expansion, the idea of the expansion of consciousness and, and uh, the, the metaphysical planes that are beyond what we normally experience here that are reached through the expansion of consciousness, preferably through meditation, but there are other means to do that as well. Uh, and that's where I got my beginning. And, and it turned out that um, after I was... I guess in my third or fourth year at the University of Arizona in Tucson, working on my um, bachelor's degree. Okay. I I, uh, I ran into the the works of the the, the, the authors in, who published through the Theosophical Society. You said that much that's better an, than I did. <laughs> yeah, and, you know that's an organization that really came down from H.P. Blavatsky in the uh, mid to late 19th century. And uh, she, she and this other man named Henry Alcott founded this organization, the Theosophical Society, in New York City in 1875, and then moved, a few years later, moved its headquarters to India, where it still it remains, the headquarters, the international headquarters is there. But they have a big publishing program, and they publish precisely the types of metaphysical literature and books about spiritual development that I was so interested in when I was at the university starting out on this big venture in life of following this path. And when I found their line of, of books in a local hippie bookstore, <laughs> I started reading them voraciously. And it even got to a point where one of, the, one of my professors, who was a, a professor of Hindu religion in the school of uh, in the Department of Eastern Religious Studies at the university, actually allowed me to take a two- two-credit reading course in theosophical literature. So that was even part of my bachelor's degree. That's, that's how ingrained that was. And as part of that, I wrote an article for the, the monthly magazine of the Theosophical Society in America, where they have their national headquarters. And the, the editor there was, was so impressed by the article that I got a, a job offer. Oh. And, I was delighted about that. And so following a little bit of travel, I, I went there and I began work as the assistant editor of the journal in which I had submitted that, that uh, article in 1973. 
and that's where it all began. And that's uh, that's how you that's a long answer to your question, Laurie. But that's no, but that that's okay. I'm going to give a quick shout out here because we got somebody joining us for the first time. Michelle Plummer. She says good evening, Laurie, joining in here for the first time. Well, welcome. And I can see our usual crew that's here. We got Z Sun Dragon or Kevin is his Muggle name, as we like to joke. The Harry Potter reference. We got Herbert Lopez here. We got Michelle from Australia. Let's see who else we got here. I miss anybody. I don't think so yet. So everybody's welcoming the new Michelle here. So thank you for doing that, everybody in the audience. That's so sweet of you. And welcome to anybody that's just tuning in. So I, I guess where I was going with this, I didn't even get into how you got into law, but what came across my mind when you were talking about this is indeed, you know, back in the 60s with the hippie movement, how did we ever transition out of that? Because it's almost like we're starting to come full circle, even with the introduction again of the hallucinogenic type, type drugs and the way yeah. that they're using them in a clinical setting exactly. and finding incredible, they can do things with that as you well, I know you're familiar, like you just said exactly, like say 10 years of therapy couldn't even touch things like PTSD and trauma and all kinds of things like that. So why do you think we got out of that movement? Because it was a beautiful movement. Yes, it was. And, you know, the, the movement was really centered around two principles, love and peace. Yes. And you didn't have to be join an organization or do anything. You only had to make those the, the, the principal forces of your behavior and your activity in life to be a hippie. That's one of the arguments I make in that book that I wrote about. I think about. to be a good human being, and I'm not that I'm being judgmental, but if I think we are, like, that's why I'm asking, like, how do we get out of this? Because if we really let love guide us and right. orientate towards peace, right. we'd be in a completely different world, wouldn't we? Right. Well, you know, my view on that, to answer your question, is that there was a great deal of innocence in the hippie movement you know it was it was wide open everybody was your brother or your sister everybody was welcome there was hitchhiking was very common there was there you give everybody a ride and so forth and the, that openness uh, was also a vulnerability and and once after about three or four years there started to be a lot more drug use among the hippies there, there was some at the beginning mostly it was marijuana yeah. And, you know, maybe some psychedelics here and there. But then it started to get into heavy, you know, sedative like and opiate like drugs. And that's where it, it started to slide out of control. And, and then people started to take advantage of the openness and innocence of the hippies. And that together with the drug use, at least in my view, that's what put an end to it. I think you're right. Right around right 1970, I think there was this in really phenomenal five-year period from 65 to 70. And then it just started to slide downhill and it got commercialized and it, it got mainstream is what happened. And so all the top fashion designers were doing bell bottoms and hippie clothing and, you know, like that. And it, it sort of got monetized and, and drugified and all that. And it just sort of, you know, lost its life. But for five years there, it was, it was something else. It was some other energy in that atmosphere in that five years. I appreciate that answer because I don't think I've ever asked anybody. And if you were what was referred to as a true hippie, you're right. Very innocent, you know, completely open, hearts full of love, like 
you know, none of this, what we see today, and again, I always say it's not my job to judge, but it's such a materialistic type society in developed countries. And they're even trying in underdeveloped countries, like everybody has a cell phone. And I just said this to, um, I get together with a few psychic um, mediums myself and channelers, and we connect on the other side just to sort of see, you know, is there any direction? Is there something maybe we can do? Not that we think we're going to change the world, but, you know, that we, if there's any way we could help out. And I said, it just seems with each new generation, with the incorporation of technology and it increasing and increasing and increasing where we're now in the age of AI, what it's leading to, and I'm sure you've seen this yourself, you go out, say to a restaurant and you've got people sitting at a table and nobody's speaking, they're all texting to each other and it's taking the focus into technology rather than being able to go within. Because I think we have the answers. It's just being able to quiet the brain, the meditation you talked about. I mean, we really have a lot of wisdom. I always say as human beings, we are incredibly powerful. We've just never been taught to understand it, recognize it, or access it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I agree with you 100% on everything mm -hmm. you just said. I mean, all the answers quite literally are within. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, the only way really to do that is through some sort of meditative and yogic discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a variety of those, uh, and you know, we need to maybe do test runs on them and, you know, kick the tires. And But once we settle on a... On a <clears throat> A sort of an established spiritual path, then we should stick to that. And as we progress and as we develop in those abilities and in that training and in that discipline, spiritual discipline, we ex then expand our consciousness. And those, those answers that were once obscure to us become more and more clear as time goes on, the more you practice. So, okay, so we have people listening from all over, like I said before we started. There's going to be people that are listening and saying, what are they talking about with consciousness? And, you know, I hear about meditation, but isn't that like, and I know it's not, and you know, it's not, but there will be people. And I've had these questions, yeah. as I'm sure you have, they think meditation means sitting on the, in the Lotus position on top of a mountain for two hours. And how many people I'm sure you've heard, I can't meditate. So if you got any words of wisdom, what, it, what, how could we get people interested in these type of topics, including what is consciousness for people that don't understand what that is? Yeah. Well, that, that there is a huge question and that would take a, quite a while to answer in, in any kind of detail that would be satisfactory to the listeners. But as to the meditation part, um, you know, the scientists have really gotten into doing quantitative measurements on meditators and their, you know, the, the waves, the brain waves that, that are, um, that are accessed through deep meditation and all of that, and have shown all sorts of positive results about health and welfare and, and equanimity and calm and, and all of those types of benefits. But there's certainly a lot more in, it, it really goes back to this notion of uh, whether we believe or we don't believe that there is a spiritual element within ourselves. That's the key determinative of meditation because ultimately the goal of meditation is to come into union with that higher spiritual self that is within everyone. 
in Sanskrit, it's called the Atma. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the, the Atma is wrapped in a, in a sort of a sheath of uh, what they, also in Sanskrit is another term of this, the Atma is the seventh principle, the sixth principle is buddhi or intuition. And then that, that is uh, connected to the, the mind, which is in Sanskrit, manas. So they refer to the manas, uh, atma, buddhi, manas. That is the core of spirituality. And the goal of meditation is to come closer into and access to a greater degree that which is within us. And the more we do it, the larger and the more expansive our conscious consciousness our conscious state of awareness expands, right? So that's really the goal of meditation. And it's not easy. It, it is difficult. A lot of people say, well, you know, I try it and, I, and it doesn't work for me. I sat down and all I can do is think about this and that and, and, and I don't see any results and so forth. The, the problem is, is that it really takes years to, to really see any discernible, um, concrete sort of results in meditation. And that's not uh, encouraging to a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, if that's the case, I, you know, I won't bother. But the rewards, if, if one persists, the rewards really outweigh the difficulties of, of entering into that meditative stream. Mm -hmm. um, and so but we, I would, but we do meditate though as human beings, like we just don't do it consciously, not on the level of really getting into the deep work, don't get me wrong, of deep meditation. But you know, how many times have there yourself, I know myself, I've driven home a place I've driven a hundred times and then I'm home and I haven't been conscious of the time passing <laughs> or yeah. even how I got home, right? <laughs> Well, I, you know that that may be true. Uh, you know, I don't. I wouldn't disagree with the fact that we maybe meditate in, in small bits and pieces. Not on the level that you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the level I'm talking about is is an awareness of what you're doing, and why you're doing what you're doing, and the ability to still the mind. I, I remember one very clever bookmark I saw with writing on it. It says, "Meditation is not what you think." And, and that's actually, that's that's almost the best way to approach it because it's not a process of sitting on your cushion and thinking. It's a process of stopping the thought process, you see. Mm -hmm. So that in that stillness and in that quietude within you, that, it, that it's not where your mind is not being constantly occupied by a stream of thought, you're able then to begin to access this these higher spiritual states or, or levels within us. That's Atma Buddhi Manas that I referred to the Sanskrit term, and once that happens, then then it gets easier and easier as you go along. But it, it takes a while. It takes a while. It, it does take a while. But and again, I'm probably not meditating on the levels that you are. But for me to sit still and to stop breathe and calm down for me the i i refer to meditation for myself in the line of work that i do as my workspace and it doesn't have to be work but it's where you get the answers and it's where you can explore different concepts and and i would collectively call it spirit from a spiritual perspective whereas working with my guides and higher energy beings as well as my higher self is what I would refer to it you know I can access it and I have a process that works for myself that may not work for other people 
So the reason why I'm bringing it up too, because I, I just think there's so many benefits to meditation. You have to start somewhere, right? So yeah. what would be the best advice you would give to somebody that really wants to meditate, but hearing just what you said, and you were being very honest, is you don't want to scare them away, but how do you get them into this? Like, how do you get into the practice of meditation on the, and get into the levels that you're on, say, years later? Well, actually, there are some books about uh, beginning meditation and how to meditate. Mm -hmm. the, the one that I like and the one I think is probably the best that I've ever read, and I've read a number of them, is by a Sri Lankan Buddhist monk uh, named Bhante Gunaratana. Mm -hmm. And Bhante Gunaratana wrote a book called Mindfulness in Plain English. And that okay. book is just a... a uh, an icon of clarity about the meditative process and the goals and the methods. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's comforting to read. And so if anybody really would like to begin the process, I would recommend that perhaps they get a book, a hold of that book or some other book that, 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 that you know, purports to, to bring people along at, as beginning meditators. So it gives them an idea about what, you know, what the goal is, what the goals aren't, and, and so forth and so on, and some easy and simple techniques that they can apply. I, I appreciate that because I know for myself when I usually like to meditate, I don't sleep a lot. Um, I, I'm a chronic pain. I have chronic pain from a back injury from work. But so when I'm up is I'm very creative. I have to create all the all the time so usually when everybody's in bed i'm up creating and it's quiet and i can keep what we think runs our our brain all the time right we think that runs it's it's busy creating and then that's when i can go within and go deeper and then that's when i'm actually able to reach different levels of meditative states for myself so yeah it works for me <laughs> i follow that and I, and I don't disagree with that um you know even the even the practiced monks and meditators of the world understand that there are different ways to do this. For example, in, in most of the Zen Buddhist schools, uh, when you go to one of their uh, uh, meditative sessions, they almost always include a walking meditation, and and everybody gets up off the zafu, the cushion, right, and gets in line. And, and very deliberately takes very slow steps and walks with their hands folded on their stomach. And, and you walk around and, and in you're in a, in, in some cases, in a deep state of meditation. In other cases, you're probably looking at where your feet are walking so you don't trip over something. Right. And all the, all different levels. It's keeping the body. Yeah. You know, so right? The brain it, has to be functioning on focus on that. Yeah. Exactly. One can still be active and be in a meditative uh, situation or a meditative state. So I, I agree with that. Oh, thanks, Kevin. So Kevin, who's the Sun Dragon, says, that makes sense, Lorelei, you creating and going deeply in a meditative state. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. And it works best for me because that's the most comfortable I am. And I never realized actually how much I do meditate till it was a few years back and I went to a conference and... Um, I was surrounded by people all day long <laughs> and I love people, but I was, I was craving the quiet 
of meditation and being able, like even when I've bought an issue I need to solve or something, and you and because it's become so normal now. And when I was when I was there for that weekend, it was like I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't think, like because I I couldn't hear that inner voice, if you will. It was just there were too many people and too much energy, and I yeah. never how much I how, how much I actually do on my own at my own home so that was a yeah. big wake-up call for me anyway. yeah it's a lot of white noise out in the world it it's is very distracting it is so you've written a really incredible book and it says it's based on 12 essays of ascending the higher spiritual path and I'm going to stop you right there because I'm hearing I I do hear my guides and what I'm hearing is a lot of people don't understand the difference between religion and spirituality would you be able to give them a little bit of wisdom on that what the difference is well i could give them my opinion about Perfect. it <laughs> we're talking about your opinion today we're talking yeah. about your yeah. book so it's all about what you think we're interested <laughs> well, I, you know, I got that degree uh, in in uh, master's degree in the divinity school at the university of chicago where it, it really is uh, a a school about the study of world religions is what it is from a scholarly standpoint. And, and, you know, so I've had exposure to that. And, and also I grew up, you know, I went to Sunday school and all the rest, like the rest of us did. And, and then I sort of went to other religions and I was involved in Sufism for a while and, and you know, then Buddhism mostly, but, you know, I find that, that, organized religion and when I when I say religion I mean sort of organized religion it's not really an individual spiritual um, setting it's it's more of a social and organizational setting organized religion almost always there are denominations of people and there are congregations of people and they get together and they 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 maybe go through some right like the Eucharist or any other kind of rite, or they get together and they socialize after the service, and it's you know it's like a barbecue, and so it's it's really a social sort of activity to be in a religion and to be religious in that way, and certainly there are you know monks in religions that that are are uh, spiritually oriented, but but I find that for the most part there's a wide discrepancy between spirituality. And being and being and being involved in a a religion or an organized religion, and some of the organization of religion can lead to some very um, distasteful things. And I would point first of all to the Spanish Inquisition, where uh, under the rule of the Vatican, you know, all sorts of uh, heretics were burned alive at the stake, and Jews were burned alive at the stake, and that sort of thing. So there have been some some real atrocities perpetrated in the name of religion. I don't want to pick on Christianity because there are others who have been involved in the same things. We, you know, we look at Islam and some of the things that are done in the name of God uh, and in the religion there. So, you know, that those sorts of act, of atrocities don't are not ever perpetrated by people who are on a higher spiritual path. Because those people, if they're authentic and real on a higher spiritual path, are, are people who promote and, and uh, practice loving kindness and, and humility. Regardless and of who you are and no fear-based perspective. In any right. Way. Yeah. 
So that that I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer to, to you or your listeners. I think it's a great me. answer, and I always say because I was I say I went to church when I was in the womb. I was forced to go to Catholic church and and then Catholic school and the whole bit. And I always say to people, again, not my job to judge. And if that's what you feel you need listening and it works for you, good for you. You need to do what works. But for myself, I've just, I agree 100% with what you've said, including the fact that there's, and I can't speak for every religion because I haven't looked at every religion, but many of them are, are very exclusive. And it's always us versus them or what a book says. And I always say somebody wrote that book that was a human being, right? Whereas I feel with spirituality, and again, I'm not trying to make this sound elitist, but we are connecting on a different level, right? And you're, and to me, for myself, if I had to define it, I would say that it's love that guides me, treating others the way I would wish to be treated with kindness and respect, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your, your belief systems are. And I've really been trying to, if we believe in reincarnation, and maybe we can transition a little bit into that, because I know you talk a little bit about that in your book, is that if we can look at people from a soul level, that right now we're all souls united, right? We all are on the other side. It's nothing yeah. but love. And and look at people from a soul perspective rather from the human perspective of maybe when they hurt us or something really awful happens, right? Yes, mm -hmm. I agree. I agree with all that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of that, that link that makes us all one, um, that is metaphysically speaking in the Hindu religion anyway, and also, well, not so much Buddhism, but in Hinduism, that Atma that I referred to as the highest spirit, the highest principle of the human being, that is one that is viewed, at least metaphysically, as unconditioned, transcendent, omniscient. I love it. And so forth. Mm -hmm. And that is the one by which we are all literally connected with one another. Because if it's unconditioned, it's only one, even though it may be found in, within our in between our eyes or, or where wherever that may be located. I mean, it's not physically that way, but you know, that, that's the thing that, that binds us all. And then we all have, you know, all the way down the, the, the line of the septenary or the seven principles of the human being, we all have different, quite different, different physical bodies, right? So that's the, the base base of, the, of that human uh, spectrum, the seven, the seven principles. So those, those are all different, but the, 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 the Atma is the thing that, that is absolutely uniting with, with all people. And, and it is back into that larger ocean of Atma, the universal soul in a sense, which is the, the, uh, the end of the transmigration process. We go through a series of lives until we reach our last life where, where we are then uh, released from the wheel of birth and re, uh, re, death and rebirth, and, and our and our spirit then resumes. Like as as uh, oh, I forget his name, he wrote the book uh, where he talked about the drew the dewdrop slips back into the ocean. That that's that's really what happens. Then that's sort of the end game for the whole transmigration process. Edwin Arnold, that's who it was. Okay. Sorry, I'm kind of old, and so 
You know, these yeah, things. You know, I, yeah I, you know what? I forget names. Sometimes I get talking on here because like I said, it really is, I would call it collectively spirit. I can hear that. I'm talking to you. I'm thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. So I forget what I'm saying too. So no worries. You're at home here. <laughs> So I, I was looking at some of the things that um, I, I love when Gavin does this. I don't always use it, use this, but so, but I want really want to talk about your book because I like I said I really resonated with it when Gavin and had introduced me to you through email. I do want to stop for a second though because Kevin said uh, William's perspective on the difference between religion and spirit spirituality resonates, so he gets what you're saying. So I wanted to share that with you. So with your book, uh, The Higher Spiritual Path, what are the core teachings uh, and of the perennial philosophy about death? About death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Question. Well, yeah, there, there is a chapter devoted to death, death, and death and the aftermath of the higher okay. spiritual path. Right. And and you know, we all die many times. Um uh, we come into the human form from the lower forms of life. And the lower forms of life begin with the mineral and go through the vegetable or vegetative and into the lower animal. And finally, uh, into the mammal uh, group. And of which it is said that there are only certain types of mammals from which of those group souls, like let's say a, a pack of, of canines, a pack of wolves or something, or a herd of elephants in a small group, then that group soul eventually, it's all a matter of evolution all the way up. And that then becomes a monad or a single reincarnating entity as it enters, as it first enters the human realm. And then from the human realm, it goes through a number of incarnations and those vary for the individual monad uh depending on you know a lot because it, it goes through the, the contingent worlds that we live in and these these span sometimes uh several centuries in between incarnations and, and sometimes more than that and usually you know 50 to 100 years while we are incarnate and then we die and so death is something that we've um experienced multiple times. We don't always have a recollection of it, although at some point at the end of that whole transmigrational process, we do develop the ability to look back and to see those previous incarnations. But the, the real, uh, the, the place where death makes the most difference is in the final incarnation. And that is the, the incarnation where uh, we either are liberated from the wheel of death and rebirth by, by a system of balancing out the karma that we've collected throughout that whole long process, um, or uh, whether we die and then at that point, at, upon our death, we are released. Those two things can happen. The first category, there's a Sanskrit word for it, of course, is called Jivan Mukta, a person who is walking around this earth who has been liberated from the wheel of death and rebirth. And then those who then die in, in, the la in their last incarnation and thereafter are liberated through the, the, the transition process after, after death. So all of 
all of what we do is that we are incarnated from the very beginning once we enter the human realm mm -hmm. we live a life that's incarnate then we live a life that is excarnate transitioning through the post-mortem states until we're reborn then we live another life of incarnation then another life of excarnation and so on and so forth so it's almost like night and day and night and day and night and day <clears throat> until the end of the year so to speak or the end of the the period that marks our uh, um, being within a human form or forms in the plural and in that time of course we're men and women and different people and sometimes we're smart and sometimes we're not so clever and sometimes we're violent sometimes we're peaceful and all this whole range and mix of emotions it's not you know it's not uh it, it's just a difference it's different every time and in each time we have our own unique set of circumstances that we have to work through and the, with the karmic consequences that of that process so at the end when we balance those karmic consequences we reach that point of death and at that point, just after the release uh, from the death of uh, from the birth from the wheel of death and rebirth, we reach a point in, in Hinduism and Buddhism that's, that, that we can go into immediate into Nirvana and take our rest, our eternal rest there after this long process. In Hinduism, it's called moksha. It's the same concept. Or for a select few they can defer going into uh, nirvana or moksha and come back again as teachers of others. These in the Buddhist tradition are called bodhisattvas. These are people who have renounced or sacrificed their reward of nirvana mm -hmm. for the purpose of coming back to help all the rest of us on earth, human beings, reach that point of liberation from the wheel of death and rebirth. And, and there is a an organization of those people. Uh, they're highly, highly, as you can imagine, highly spiritually advanced and developed people. And they are referred to as adepts, sometimes as masters, sometimes as mahatmas. Okay. And um, that's a core principle of the book that I wrote because they have an association of an, or an order where they train people who are close to that point uh, and they take them on as disciples or, or students, chelas, and they train them. And so that begins the path of those people to a point where they then die or reach a point of liberation and then also make the sacrifice. So the majority goes into Nirvana and into moksha or or whatever what and then these are just keep in mind these are just sanskrit terms this happens to everybody not just the hindus and buddhists this well is, I, I have a different perspective than you right. do on what happens like that's right. what i was going to ask you so would i be mistaken in saying that you you what you've written about is based more on your experience with the buddhist type um experience is is that where you're feeling you 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 feel this is what happens with death or that's or an excellent you... question and thank you for asking it okay what, what i have what, a different perspective but i don't have all the answers myself and i know that so i understand but this is a very excellent point 
the, the Buddhists and the Hindus are probably where you find the most detail in their scriptures about this whole process. Mm-hmm. Unlike most of the other religions or sacred writings of whatever kind. Right? Agreed. So they have an existing vocabulary for these terms and these and these processes in become. That's all I'm doing is borrowing okay. you know, their their vocabulary because the processes that human beings go through in the transmigration process and the birth and re- rebirth, birth and death and rebirth, that applies to everybody on the earth. Doesn't matter what continent you're from, what race you are, what religion you were born into, what gender you are, doesn't matter any of that. The process of of birth and death and rebirth applies to everyone and always has and always will, according to the the theosophical or the the doctrine of the the perennial philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it would be nice to develop a nice um, English vocabulary or English lexicon Mm-hmm. To, to describe the, these processes. But even in the theosophical works and the works of Blavatsky and those others, they also borrow from the Sanskrit and the Pali, those two languages in particular, and, and or the Tibetan, because there's a lot of this in the Tibetan, the Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhist uh, mm-hmm. doctrines and tradition. Um, and so those terms are thrown around quite a bit. But, you know, it, I tried my best to while I use those terms in my book to try to explain them and, okay. and make a very strong point that they are absolutely not, that shouldn't be seen as limiting only to Eastern or Asian people or Buddhists and Hindus, but to, but but they're for everybody. Mm-hmm. And those the what happens to people is, is more or less the same, that they go through the same processes, regardless of the term that you use to describe it. Okay. No, because, well, again, I don't have all the answers, but from studying, sorry, never fails to get a dog here. My cat and dog are in here. I apologize. Is, is I, and again, my belief is that, yes, I, as many of the things you, you talked about, yes, I think we can be, come from minerals, you know, have a life experience as minerals and move on and move up. But to me, I think that like where, where, well, maybe I should ask you, do you believe in other races besides human beings? Or is that a loaded question? If it's a loaded question, you can say that. <laughs> I, I don't get your term, you term, use the term races. Um, I do believe that there are. Beings, beings, beings. beings. Yes, okay. Yes. Beings. The answer, the short answer is yes, I do. There are a variety of different types of beings. There are elementals. There are, uh, you know, and most of these are sort of vortices. I'm loving this conversation. They're they're vortices of of energy and consciousness. And those energies and those those degrees of consciousness differ. But, you know, there are elementals. There are Mm -hmm. uh, nature spirits. There are uh, devas or angels. There are... These, these other types of entities, but these are all basically metaphysical entities. In other words, there are people who can interact with those, but mostly those people are fairly well-developed clairvoyance uh, and people who are, are highly sensitized to those energies around them. Most, most people don't see them or 
you know, or, or not able to interact with them. Been, sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. I was just going to no, say, no. I agree with what you're saying, but is it because maybe we've never been introduced to that concept as a whole in today's day and age? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, they've never been introduced to them. I'm not sort of casting any, you know. Oh, I don't think you are. I'm thinking that like maybe people were led to believe that, you know, again, yes, metaphysical, because I believe every human being possesses the gifts of intuition, of, of all the things that I'm, say, using in my everyday practice with what I'm doing and working with people. I always tell people I'm no different than anybody else. Yes, I'm a unique individual, as is every other human being on this planet. And, and, animal and you name it. But in a way, if you go from a consciousness and spiritual level, I believe we are all connected. But where I'm going with this is, I, I don't think I have any more special gifts than anybody else. I think that we all do. And where I was going with that was, if we had all been told, like I say, I hope I live till, till the day when I see that when a child is born, meditation is the norm. And all many of these concepts we're talking about, including talking about the metaphysical so that's where i was going with that so when yeah. you you'd mentioned and and you're right most people wouldn't even tell you they believed in in say nature spirits and and fairies and and i mean we can go on and on and on but if it became the norm i wonder if it would be different from a child onwards but you know there's there's a very interesting what i refer to as spiritual science approach to all of this um, and I, this reminds me of, of the fact that the, the Theosophical Society, I'm not trying to plug the society necessarily, okay. although I, I do, I do like it. But, but one, of the, one of the three objectives is they have, but the second one is to develop the latent powers in humankind for the purposes of investigation of these, the, these metaphysical planes. And what, what that really refers to, quite literally, is the fact that all of us have not only seven principles, but seven force centers or chakras. They're, they're, they're nerve plexes, actually. And they, they sort of rotate in our bodies. And those can be actually developed consciously. There, there is a form of yoga called kundalini yoga. I've heard of which, it. Right, which is, that is that process. What, the, 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 the root chakra, the muladhara chakra, uh, is is that's at the base of the spine, and so there are different, there are varying types of yogic techniques, pranayama, breathing, and this sort of thing, where a practitioner can develop those. It's much better to do it under the guidance of someone who's already done it. Incidentally, it's not a very good idea to go out and do it on your own. But in any case, and so as those force centers are developed, those latent powers are developed, and so you get clairvoyance and clairaudience and clairsentience and uh, more highly developed intuition and, and all of these elements so that <clears throat> then, I mean, a, a, a well-developed clairvoyant is able to, to see auras of individuals and actually determine whether they're healthy or whether they have some sort of... I work with the, I call them chakras. I know that yeah, yeah. some people call them chakras. That's what Crystal Reiki works with, actually. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's right. Yeah, with all it's of It's all connected to a whole series of what, what is in Sanskrit called nadis that are 
these nerve uh, yeah. channels in the body, right? And they, they spread all over. It's a very complicated and um, sophisticated system. It but is. Once you get into that, then, and, and as one develops those abilities, then one become, then has these latent powers. Those are the people who are actually quite able to interact with the elementals, the nature spirits, the devas or the angelic kingdom and so forth and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. that's kind so of- That's why I refer to it as spiritual science because there is actually a science behind it. Sorry, I have forgot to tell you, I have a little bit of a delay being up here in Canada and we're broadcasting out in New Orleans and you're out in the West Coast. So I apologize if I accidentally speak. It's okay. Um, I, I love where this is going because the reason why I asked you, and I shouldn't have said racist, that's a terrible word to use. Yeah, you didn't it. correct me. I, I just was off the top of my head. Beings, because if we're speaking of reincarnation, which I believe in, I believe that we are an everlasting, if you want consciousness, soul, whatever you want to call it. We're just here having our human experience in this particular lifetime right now. But what do you say about other other races then or beings? So I keep saying racist, trying to think about not saying racist. Other beings, what do you think? Do you think because they're metaphysical or are they just maybe in another dimension possibly? Do you think they have a soul? Could we have an experience as, say, the Fae or any a nature spirit or something like that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, when you when you use the word another dimension, you know mm -hmm. that that raises sort of uh, definitional questions. I would I would prefer to say they are more or less in another frequency. Okay, of, I like that of, word. Of you know, because we have frequencies that are so minute that we can hardly see or hear them, and Absolutely. other waves that are like the size of mountains in terms of the, the you know, the, the emanation of the, of the wave. These things that, that go through space, they're, they're like giant waves in the ocean, right? So right. we have little ripples and we have these giant, you know, tsunami waves and every size in between. And those are frequencies. So our ability, our consciousness, and particularly our, our senses. I mean, what, what do we have? Five senses, right? Sight, sound, smell, taste, and feeling, right? Mm -hmm. That's only a very small part of the frequency wave that, that we are able to. Even know, our vision, as we, yeah, right? As vision we all know, dogs can hear a whistle that we can, right? Mm -hmm. And what clairvoyance can do, when, and when you develop those force centers that, that you know, that expand and so these latent powers, that that basically broadens the scope scope of those frequencies. So then and again, we get back to spiritual science. So then you then you see these that they're, they're not elsewhere. They're not in a, they're not separated from us in another dimension. They're all around us all the time. I love so what you're we're, saying. We're not we're not conscious or, or aware of them because the we're because like the five senses that we're limited to, it, it doesn't include those 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 little bundles of energy vortexes of energy mm -hmm. and so i think that's that's the way i would prefer to look at it is that they're, i they're love what you're saying because you're yeah. right like even when as a medium connecting to somebody's loved one and we you know overall through movies and and culture people believe that you know your loved ones are eons and gazillions of if you want miles way up in the sky but it's not right and yeah. and 
when you connect with them, they're, they're with you whenever you think of them. And, and depending on what type of, um, I call say spirit for um, lack of a better word, sometimes I'm able to see usually hearing, hearing is my most strongest sense at the moment. Sometimes I can feel them. It depends what it is, but there's not that separateness. And I just love what you just said, because you're right versus a, what I said with a dimension versus a frequency and the examples you used. I love it because that seems like reality or it really resonates with me. And I hope with the audience, with what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. another question for you, though. <laughs> okay. So if we believe, we're getting it. I'm getting it. I knew I was going to have lots to ask you about, and I'm loving this conversation. So thank you. Um, about Bigfoot, for example. Now, I have talked to many who believe in this. We've seen pictures. We've seen video. But there's been many who really study this field that, feel that they really have gone into another dimension, that they are dimensional, some of these beings. So would that go along with the analogy you just given that they're always there, but maybe they're so highly evolved that they're able to change their frequency so that we can't see them, that they're not really in another dimension. They're just able to mask themselves with a different frequency versus what a human could sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, uh, but I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask because I, I'm just not very well versed in, in mm -hmm. that particular subject. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and that's I, don't have any, I don't have any views about it. I just don't know much about it. That's all. Well, we had some comments in here, too. So I thought I would ask. Hi, Kaysen. Kaysen's watching from Sri Lanka. So uh, welcome. And Dylan, I see, is here. Somebody new. And Kevin Zisan Dragon says... Uh, love this conversation, listening and attentively and agreeing. Michelle has to probably go to work in Australia. It's Tuesday morning. She said, have a great show, everyone. Thanks for popping in, Michelle. I'm, I'm loving this conversation and I'd love to hear people's thoughts because I got another word because I am, I've never studied Buddhism or any of these more, if you will, Middle, Middle Eastern or even a lot to do with Indian belief systems. So what are their thoughts when it comes to hell? Like the traditional, you know, heaven and hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, there. Or we need a whole show for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, almost all, I, I could do a, almost a whole show on every question. I mean, you know, the, this, the whole field is just so large and expansive. But, you know, to, to bring it back to Earth and to make it a little bit more manageable for the viewers, um, there is a sort of an analog or a, a counterpoint, I would say, to that that's ocean of bliss that's called nirvana in Buddhism and moksha in, in uh, Hinduism. And for that matter, the Christian heaven, although that that's a different kind of a idea than, than nirvana and moksha. But those religions also have this notion of avici, that the term that's a Sanskrit term avici, which is where people uh, who uh, sort of lead the the life that's antithetical to the spiritual life, the, you know, not the a spiritual life, the non spiritual life, mm -hmm. people whose motivation are greed, uh, yes. 
to be, you know, to instill fear, uh, control, um, you know, uh, hatred. Self, nervous to self. Self-serving, self-promoting, self-centered, all of those things. Um, There are those people, as we all know, in the the world. And what happens is that when they die, uh, in the the beginning of the the transition, the postmortem transition stages that they that that everybody goes through from Mm -hmm. from death to rebirth, uh, there's a there's a sort of a a a judgment process, uh, a, a battle of your higher and your lower selves. And if, if the weight of all of your activities, the karmic weight of it is in the negative rather right. than the positive, then you're sort of bound for a Vici. And that may be temporary, it may be permanent, depends on you know, how long along the, the whole reincarnational uh, or transmigrational process you are. But that's a place of, of, of utter uh, solitude and, and despair and darkness and you know, a place with no light. And so, you know, of just mental and I guess emotional anguish and suffering. Mm-hmm. So that's Avicii. I, I'm not I'm not really all that well versed in it because there's not a lot that's written about Avicii in, in those scriptures. And I'm I go back to the Vedanta and and this and the and the Buddhist uh, sutras and, and uh, the the tripitaka, the three baskets of Buddhist a commentary and so forth. And so, you know, we only have to, to, Blavatsky does talk about it to some degree, but but not in any great detail. But we know it's there, and, and that's one of the uh, places where one, based on one's own actions, one could end up in uh, Avicii. So there is that place. Good, good answer. Now, Nicole Ryan says, enjoying this too. So my audience is loving this. My audience loves to talk about these kind of concepts just as much as the power of the mind. And then sometimes we talk, we talk about all these topics, different topics. And like, I, before we start, I said, we've got such a great audience. They always ask great questions and, you know, make great comments here. So thank you, Nicole and Kevin and everybody else that's here and great comments. Now speak, you brought this up a few times and I would love to talk about it because it's the word karma and I think it's deeply misunderstood and I'd love to hear your thoughts I know you've covered some of this in your book if I'm not mistaken um so I'd love to hear your thoughts about that and what it exactly is because I think people misunderstand what karma is well yeah first of all yes you're right I do there's a chapter on my book karma and the higher spiritual path Basically, karma is a law of the universe. That you know, in its most simplest formulation. And there are basically a number of laws and principles of the universe. And the list of those, really, or the aggregation of those laws and principles, are really what form the perennial philosophy. Okay. Okay. There, there is no. It's immemorial. There's no beginning to them. There's no author to them. It's just that. Uh, a lot of highly uh, spiritualized uh, predecessors of ours on this earth have seen these principles and laws at work and have recorded them. And so we have a recordation of these basic laws and principles of the universe. And one of them is, is the law of compensation or the law of cause and effect. 
And that plays out in all sorts of different ways. Um, and, you know, the, it, you know, the, the word karma actually is, a, is, that's a Sanskrit word, and it's simply defined as action. That, that's all it means in Hinduism is action. But because reaction is also part of action, then karma covers both action and reaction. And one simple way to look at it that helps us understand the metaphysical application of the law of karma or the law of compensation is to look at the physical application. The physical application is really what is known as the, the third principle of motion that was set forth by Isaac Newton in his book uh, In Principia that, was, that he wrote in 1697. And that law says, on the for the physical plane for the you know for, for physics for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction okay mm -hmm. and that is the simplified version and the physical version now we need to translate that concept into the metaphysical realm and it gets a little dicier because we're dealing now with with in particular with the human uh, uh, process of karma there is both an action part and a motive part to karma. Sure. And both, both of those together are the things that, that are added up in our, in our, in our sort of ledger. We, we, have, we, we, we take through our various lives, you know, death and birth and rebirth, all the various lives of transmigration, sort of a little metaphysical ledger book where all of this information is stored and so the, at the very end, is, that's the process of, of balancing them out and sort of creating a zero, zero on both sides of the scale. But it, it really does get tricky because take, for example, a person who drives down the street and runs over someone in the street and seriously injures or kills that person, right? right. If that action, and that, so the action is the same, okay? So if that action was purely accidental, this person was, was, uh, had to sneeze or, or you know, who knows what, but, but just didn't see the pedestrian and runs right. him over and stops and gets out and tries to render help or something like that. That's one, the action there is, is one action with no motive. Let's say on the other hand, that the same person driving the same car and hitting the same individual has been paid by someone to do that. In other words, uh, an assassin for hire who uses a vehicle to run this person down. Now you've got motive involved in that. Same yeah. action, exactly the, everything the same. One person is motiveless and the other has motive. And in All that then fits into this human karmic equation that we then carry around with us. So we really have to be extraordinarily careful of our motives and our intentions in life. And if we want to progress on the spiritual path or the higher spiritual path, we have to purify those motives and intentions in order to, to sort of counteract any of the negative emotions that would be associated with the actions that we take because of those motives and intentions, okay? So, you know, when, let me also say one thing about the, the term karma as used in the West now, in modern, in, modern, in the modern West. 
sometimes you will go to a film and you'll see a couple of people, you know, uh, having getting into some sort of violent conflict or a shootout. And then the, the winner will come over of this and, and point his gun and shoot the guy in the head and say, and look down and say, karma's a bitch, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was just thinking that. <laughs> that. That is not. <laughs> that's well, that's what people think it is. That's exactly right. And, and that's really a sad thing because it despiritualizes the, 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 the real meaning of the term because it is, in a sense, a spiritual concept. It comes from this ancient uh, flow of the perennial philosophy. It's a law of the universe, this law of compensation, and it involves that. It is not just simply retaliation or revenge, right? So right. unfortunately, karma's gotten a little bit, uh, the definition of it has gotten converted if not perverted in, in the modern I West. think and perverted because perverted. And, you know I, personally I have my, the, the introduction to my chapter in my book on karma deals with this and said says please reader don't read this into my when what I'm saying hereafter you know so there's a little introduction like that in my book in that chapter and it's I believe it is uh, sort of um, uh, an obligation of mine or for those other people who teach these principles to others, that that, that that should be made clear. And so I thank you for the question because it's a very good one. Well, I don't know if this is my co-host. It says it is. It says it's David Hansel, but I don't think he goes by that name on there. If it is you, we'll see if you send me a message on Messenger. I'm not sure if it is or not, but we'll see. So Kevin says, he did say hi to us, though. So hi, Dave. I think it's Dave, my co-host on Thursdays, but I know he doesn't use that YouTube channel. So we'll see. <laughs> Lots of people like to copy him. <laughs> oh, he says, yep, it is me. Okay, so it is Dave. <laughs> hi, Dave. Welcome. Um, it is him. He's making jokes, so it's him. <laughs> Kevin says, uh, balance, yin-yang comes to mind via karma plus the i always from what i've received from from and i always collectively many of the the beings we've talked about i just collectively call it spirit but the ideal perfect situation if there was one for a human being on this in planet if you will a 3d existence sometimes i've heard it referred to is with the yin and the yang if you will right is is being perfectly balanced perfectly grounded i always say through the chakra or chakra systems connected you will through the crown to source to god whatever your belief system is and everything would be in balance around you right i don't know if i'm wrong about that or not but i always say that's kind of the ideal situation to be in if you could be then again, if you were here in a perfect situation, would you really learn much? No, right? You really wouldn't want to move because you'd just be in perfect connection energetically. Right. Like then right. what I'm where I'm trying to go with this, it just seems that there's always a positive and a negative to everything on this planet. There's good, there's bad, there's light, there's dark, there's hot, there's cold. Do you see where I'm going with that? Right. So so when we get into karma and when you were talking about the saying we hear karma is a bitch is the thing that people look at it as almost like a punishment. But when you were talking about the scenario, yeah. right, there was intent or motive behind what that person did shooting the other guy and, yeah. and repeating the phrase. We do have a, a comment here. Hang on. Um, Kathy Hanley Little says, does forgiveness of others and self balance karma? 
Well, the short answer is yes, of course. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the, I'll get back to the first uh, the message that, that you got about the, the yin. And the That's yang. why I was saying that. Sorry, I was going to finish that. And I saw that question. All I was going to say is, it, I mean, that would be ideally. And as I understand it, if you're going to come to Earth, like it's pretty hard not to accrue more karma, isn't it? If you're going to. Yes. Live. yes. Mm -hmm. you, you, one will accrue karma. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, one has a one has it in one's control to make it more positive than less, right? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. But um, getting back to the yin and the yang, I mean, the, the first uh, uh, commentator was was absolutely right. Kevin, yeah. You know, yin and yang are really uh, sort of one of the first and earliest expressions of this principle of 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 uh, duality and, and compensation uh, that is one of the principles of the, or the laws of the perennial philosophy. It happened to be, have been written in China. The, among the first to write about it was a, was a great Chinese uh, uh, philosopher named Lao Tzu. They wrote a book called the Tao Te Ching, and which is basically uh, conceived upon the notion of yin and yang. And then you find that in Taoist thought all the way through, even to today. Uh, so, it, and it's only the fact that it's the Chinese uh, version of a perennial principle that's been expressed in Chinese, Pali, Sanskrit, Tibetan, Latin, and Greek, and, and any other Hebrew, all these different languages that are all talking about that principle, right? And it's it's a beautiful graphic. You know, I really love the graphic of it. The, the, because it's got the little dot in, in the in, in the, the black dot in the in the middle of the white half teardrop and the, the the black drop the black drop and the white you know like that that that's actually written a great deal by, by Plato the Greek philosopher where, where he said it was this 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 um, flow this cycle back and forth between uh, because what happens is that the little dot the little black dot then sort of overtakes all the white within it as time goes on and the little black, the little white dot overtakes all the black. And so they're, they're constantly changing back and forth. The seed, the germ is buried in the, in the, in the essence of the other, you see. Okay. Anyway, that, that's just a little uh, talk on Plato on the side. <laughs> You're making me think about this book I have. When I was in university to get my nursing degree, I had the um, anatomy and physiology coloring book. And the reason, I don't know what made me think of this, but this book is based all on spiritual energy. As you can see, I haven't done a lot of coloring in it, but um, this is the principles. Like I think everybody, everything's energy. I'm trying to find all the chakras in here. Hang on. And I don't show anything too graphic on here because it doesn't censor the drawings in here. There we go. There we go. So these are some of the things that go through with the symbols behind some of the chakras and to be able to color them. And then it gives you the key and energy lines in the body based on quite a few different principles, I think, with even some of the stuff we've been talking about. Oh, Nicole just said the flow. Um, like, for example, um, that gets even into reflexology to learn. Sorry, I got to probably color up, cover up my light. And then it gets, I'm trying not to show the, the energy lines here, but where I'm going with this, I'll try and cover up the, not that I care, but they will on, because we're on YouTube and stuff. But this one, hang on, I gotta, 
I'll cover it up here like this. Hang on. Let me turn this off for a sec. One, two, three. There, sorry, I'd never show pictures. But for example, it goes through the whole body and shows you it in the circle. Even on the front of it, though, I can't show the key lines or chi lines, yeah. energy lines. I know you'll know yeah. that for people listening. We have lines of energy, things that work with like reflexology, acupuncture. Does that fall into some of your belief systems as well with the energy body too, with your book at all? Yeah. I mean, they, they just use the, Sanskrit uses a different term than the chi is a Chinese term, I think. Yes. Uh, the yes. Sanskrit term is nadi, N-A-D-I. Okay. So they're talking about the same uh, uh, nerve plexes and, and uh, ethereal channels that, that run through the body. The two right. main ones are the the, uh, the the ida, the pingala, and the shushumna. The shushumna is the core of the spine. And then the ida and pingala are the two that wrap around it. That form the caduceus, which is the medical, the symbol of the medical profession. Yes, it is. Right. So yeah. we can then, talk then the, whole the symbols, right, that are all around us that people don't even realize that are around yeah. it, the meaning behind I, them. I know. Take a look at the dollar bill sometime. Oh boy, we could really do a show on that. I love talking about stuff like that. Let me tell you. Sorry, I didn't mean to instigate a. No, no, I love. You know what it is like. I when I I've just recently I've been doing this for a long time. I've just recently told my audience that I don't meet my guests till like five minutes before the show, but I kind of like it that way because I get to find out things about you and your thoughts and why you wrote the amazing book that you did and the books before it whereas if we'd known each other yeah it's fun but it's nice to find out about somebody it's kind of like opening a gift every week when they have a guest on because i don't get to find i don't know much about them until they come on oh here we go we got another comment from nicole she said i have been told archangels are tied to the chakras or chakras have have you heard that before uh i have not no but it's possible, I, I suppose. I, I'm not that well versed in, in the development of the chakras or the activities of the archangels. You're talking about Gabriel and Michael and those. Uh, well, there's well, yeah, there's so many more too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah there, I know there are a host of them, but. but yeah. That's the cool thing about having a discussion like this, because even though we may have differences in belief systems or, and I'm not talking about just you and I, I'm talking about on the whole, having yeah. a difference in belief systems, the beauty in it, if we can actually stop and listen to one another, not just hear, and give ourselves some food for thought, because I can tell you, my belief systems are not the same as they were, say, five years ago right with experience and education meeting different people our belief systems evolve but they, that's healthy and that's normal and, and mm -hmm. they, they continue to do it and so at my age i hope i continue you know to learn and to to expand I think you're fascinating. Like I'm looking at some of these topics here because these are things I'd love to talk about and hear people's um, thoughts on it. And so to you, what is free will? Because I know I've said it many times. I believe human beings have free will. The choice, if you will, like even with your, where you were giving the scenario earlier, something that is an accident versus intent. I think intent comes from the ability to, that we have free will. You have a choice. What are you going to do with that choice, right? But I'd love to hear your thoughts. What What is free will to you? Well, understand free will from the standpoint of 
philosophy, uh, one needs first to understand what the will is. Okay. Uh, and then, then, then you can leap into the discussion of what the free will is. Okay. The will, the will in the perennial philosophy, the will is something that was and is part of the creation of the cosmos or the universe. It is a force. It's an energy. Um, and there are other forces and energies also. Um, one is fohat. It's called, these are all Sanskrit terms. Another one is called prana. Um, uh, uh, another is called akasa. Though akasa is not so much a force, but a field. But in any case, will is a force. And it, it is inherent in everything that lives. Everything that lives has this will force in them. Okay. And and the the what's interesting about the human being is that the human being is able to develop the will within him or her just as the human being is in, able to develop the mind or the intuition. There are methods to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so in the process of creating will um you know there are, are there are certain techniques, but will really is. Uh, Lavatsky once said that uh, nothing is impossible to the person who wills it, right? But that that presupposes that that will is powerful enough, so that that person has developed the willpower to a, a certain point. Now, in the process of developing the willpower. Uh, we, we do all have choices, but uh, this gets back to the, the which, which, uh, which person in ourselves, the higher spiritual person or the lower animal person, the inner self or the outer self, which is going to predominate and which is going then to be able to utilize the will. So from the standpoint of the, the uh, the perennial philosophy, only the person who is, who is through which the higher self is resonating, that, that where the higher self, the spiritual self is predominant, only that person has what is referred to as free will, where the other person, because that person is now subject to his or her sort of animal propensities and lower appetites and lusts and wishes and material views, that person then does not have free will, but is subject to the will of that lower en entity, that outer self, that outer person. So well, it sounds like you take, it almost sounds like a cop out though to me, unless I've misunderstood it because people that make poor choices that result in Usually, life doesn't turn out great for them when they make those types yeah. of succumbing to that will, right? Do you know? See where I'm going with this versus somebody that would say has trained that will and now is able to have free will. It sounds like a cop out to me. If somebody understands, yeah, I mean, you're right. This is a difficult uh, concept: uh, free will and will. I mean, certainly, uh, uh, let's say a sorcerer somebody who's a practitioner of black magic would right. be somebody who uses will, but not for good purposes, right? Right. Whereas somebody who was on the other side of that, you know, if you want to get into the subject of ceremonial magic, would sure. be 
using the light, you know, the, the forces of light uh, to, to use will. Um, but it really, I guess it has more to do with the choice that people are ultimately yeah. uh, bound to make for themselves about which, which of those types, because we both, we all have both of those ends, right? We all yeah. have the, the, that's how we all have the devil and the angel on our shoulders, right? The, the metaphorically speaking, right? So if the angel predominates, then, then what happens is that that will that comes down through, that is part of creation, uh, is much more powerful than any individual will. Let's put it that way. I mean, that, that's the will that can move mountains. So it's it's certainly it's sort of not the individual that's moving the mountain. It's it's the it's the person who is um, associated with that powerful will through uh, through the through the higher self through the through the spiritual self rather you. than the person who is uh, using the will for for selfish purposes because that person is not going to be able to use that uh, cosmic will because it it, it would probably burn them up or something. I, I don't know, but it would be too much energy for that. Person. I think I see what you're saying. I think what yeah. you're saying is, so it's almost like, and I'm not going to use the right terms either, but it's almost like somebody that's, if you will, as an example, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like they've educated themselves and realized what it takes to say utilize actual free will versus somebody say with black magic and choosing to use a lower vibration or frequency which is energy yes. right yes. and yes. and uses it for service to self or to hurt others it's it's almost like it comes with an evolution is that would i be right in what you're saying like they're they're evolving past of thinking of themselves and going to the white magic, you know, thinking maybe for the betterment of man or to help somebody out versus somebody that's using, and we're using just this example. We're not defining right. black magic or white magic for anybody listening, but utilizing, say, the black magic to hurt other people or or for nefarious means, right? It's almost like they, it, would they not have maybe evolved to that higher concept of understanding? Is, is I, that- I, I think you're right because what happened in the case of those people? Are we talking about this in Avicii? You know, those people that follow that path of mm -hmm. self-centeredness and everything. Yeah. What happens is that that the higher spiritual self, this Atma Bodhi Manas that I refer to, that's this sort you know source of universal love and light. That in the, in the other person, if if the darkness, the dark side prevails, right, okay, then that means that the, the 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 spiritual side becomes a prisoner. Yes. To that right. Whereas on the other side, if if the the, the, the Atma Bodhi Manas, the spiritual side prevails, the higher self, the inner self prevails, then the lower self becomes, in a sense, a a uh, collaborator with the higher self. Right? Mm -hmm. There are no more of those energies left in that person. They sort of got cauterized out because of the light, and yeah, the higher frequencies. Those lower frequencies get cauterized out. So then, then that being is a whole being, and then can use all of that cosmic will for those purposes, and it's extraordinarily powerful. Whereas the person on the other side then becomes uh, subject to the whims of that 
outer self and the ego and the spiritual self becomes a prisoner to that. And as a result of that, the, the amount of that cosmic will that is been able to use is, is, is diminished. Okay. It makes absolute sense. And I hope okay. it does to the audience as well. I, I, if you even think of it, even really, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but simplistically in the terms of energy, so lower vibrational frequency, black magic. I'm not, I'm not equating them for anybody listening. We're just using this as an example, but somebody that's now using, say, the white magic, you know, not in service to self, service to others, it, it, it's, could they go back to that black magic? Yes, but that doesn't serve the purpose. It's like they've almost grown up or gone to a higher frequency, evolved, and like attracts like energy, I believe, on this planet. Does that make sense, or am I really in? No, I, I think you're right. I think that makes absolute sense. So I think you've got a, you've got the understanding of it. Okay. Okay. And it does make sense. And now, because when you first said that, I was thinking everybody has free will. They do, but I understand what you're saying with your book. That it's almost, it, and maybe it's not the right terminology, but it's almost like it's an evolution. Like, could they go back to that lower frequency, going back to using black magic? Yes, but it's almost like they see the benefits in the way of it's not service to self, it's service to others. And I always tell people service to others is, is a gift to yourself, because especially when you don't tell other people what you've done, because it feels good to be able to help somebody else who needs it and could say say they were a thief before they were whatever i'm not trying to be judgmental for people listening could they always go back to that way yes but there's really no purpose to go there anymore right when you've sort of seen if you will the light <laughs> right? well, I, I, think, I think that's right and, and ultimately we were talking about this earlier you've got nirvana or moksha released from the wheel of death and rebirth on one side and then you've got avici on the other side so those those are, those are the ultimate results of choosing uh, which which is going to dominate within yourself, like your higher self or your lower self. Right. I get it. I get it now. So again, people could have the choice to do it, but it's almost like when you understand the principles of energy, right? It can either be created nor destroyed or it basically can be transferred from one place to another. It's kind of the same thing, but it's almost like you're evolving that energy, if you will. And again, using colors. I'm trying to make this more clear because I, I totally I think get what you're saying. I do. It yeah. makes so much sense. Yeah, it's not easy, but I, I, you, are, you are getting I can, I can sense that. I can I can hear what you're saying, and you're right. You're on the right course there. Sometimes we don't have the words to quite explain it, because it is, and then that's kind of why you see why meditation comes in too, right? Because then the clarity comes when you get into a meditative that's state. That's right. More. Because these truths come through without the need of any words, and all of a sudden you just simply realize the truth, and you, you'd be able to see it. Then you get the hard part of trying to put it in words to try to. That's where I think I'm people, at. Right? Yes, I hear what you're saying. I didn't too. understand yeah. it at first, but I do now. Yeah. Right. And it makes sense. I'm dying to ask you this about yoga. So remind me if I forget, but I'm going to read Kaysen's comment. He says, Buddhism, especially early Zen, is actually ferocious. And I said, he's from Sri Lanka, and I don't know if he practices Buddhism or not. Not that you have to tell us, Kaysen. He says, it doesn't acknowledge a continuous and concrete self, higher or lower, as far as he understands it. Do you, would you comment on that? Do you, is there anything you would add to that one way or the other, um, Bill? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that you know there is a, a a school in Buddhism called you know the 
that the, that the ideal is emptiness and that there is no higher or lower self and so forth. And, you know, that that's part of the Buddhist tradition. And anyone who studies Buddhism would come, you know, across that. And, you know, there are sutras where the Buddha uh, sort of uh, admonishes his, his uh, disciples to stay away from metaphysics and that it's all, you know, it doesn't make any difference. And the, what one should do is meditate and, and you know, you know, behave in a sense of with loving kindness toward others and charity and compassion. Um, so yeah, I understand that. Uh, but you know, if if one digs deeper uh, in, in Buddhism, while there is no higher or lower self, there are the five skandhas, right? And these are um, attributes or characteristics of the individual. And and in that those non-metaphysical uh, schools, they don't. It doesn't go into where these skandhas come from and what the source of them is. But but it's accepted that the skandhas exist with every person that they have these tendencies and and um, um, proclivities and, um, and propensities and so forth. And and they're all they're related to the the body and the emotions and the mind and. and uh, there, there are five of them. Uh, you know what, what, what I'm talking about. Uh, in, you know, in terms of the perennial philosophy, while we do, while there are a lot of Buddhist terms used, and Hindu terms, and Sanskrit, and Pali, and Tibetan, in the writings of the perennial philosophers, um, they also add these notions of the Atma and the Buddhi, the 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 higher self and the, in, and the intuition that aren't part of the skandhas. And, you know, so you could say that that then becomes the higher self and all of the skandhas together are the lower self. That's one way that you could conclude uh, that, that teaching. But, you know, my, my preference is not to get into sort of uh, the polemics of religion, mm-hmm. but to stick to the, the, the principles and the laws uh, that form the the first principles of the perennial philosophy, uh, because you know the, the the sort of the polemics of religious and theological discourse is endless, and you could go on and on and on. <clears throat> but anyway, the, your your viewer is correct that that in the, the, the some schools in Buddhism, in the early sutras, you don't find any reference to higher and lower self. Yes. I hear you. And it's, it's like I said, these are a little bit more difficult concepts that we're talking about, but there's a lot of wisdom I can tell in your book and I'm, I, and we're not wrapping up yet, folks. I'm just sort of, if you're just tuning in, I keep forgetting to get into these deep conversations. I was supposed to do this at the top of the hour. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to 105.3 and 107.7 to UFO Paranormal Radio Network, otherwise known as United Public Radio Network. We just like to call it uh, UPRN and you're listening to the HR Rock and I'm your host, Laura Lee Potvin and my amazing guest, is William Quinn and we're or just Bill. I've been calling him Bill. Down to he's so chill and down to earth. I said that to him when I met him before we went live. I said, You're just so I like your energy. It was very, very calm. Um, hi Sandra. We we only have, believe it or not, about another 10 minutes. That's how fast this goes by when you get into these really intriguing conversations. And I love having talks like this. There's been a lot of comments in the chat. People are really enjoying this too, Bill. So thank you for coming on. Um, 
So what I want also want that's where see I almost forgot. I got a little reminder. So you've been mentioning yoga. Now I have a really bad back injury and I have been encouraged to try yoga for years and I haven't. So how does yoga come into play with all of these concepts we're talking about? I have a pretty good idea I'm hearing, but let's, I'd love to hear how you pull this in with the meditation and many of the commentation of uh, the concepts we've talked about. Okay. Well, I need to give a little bit of context on yoga because that, that is a, a, a Sanskrit word which means to yoke or to bring bring together, to yoke together. Okay. And, uh, you know, one normally understands that to mean to yoke the spiritual self with the physical self or the higher self with the lower self and so forth. But that's the meaning of yoga is to yoke or to bring together. In uh, classical uh, Hinduism, there is actually uh, a school, uh, a, a philosophical school called the School of Yoga. And in that <clears throat> school, uh, it is understood by the early authors the, uh, in the Vedanta and other uh, sacred writings of the Hindus that uh, there are various ways or methods uh, of bringing, of yoking the higher and the lower self together. And the, the, what they refer to as the kingly yoga is called Vraja yoga, which is a form of meditation. But there are all of these other yogas. There's Karma yoga and Bhakti yoga and mm -hmm. Kundalini yoga and uh, uh, Jhana yoga, which is the study of uh, the mind, which is the enlightenment of the mind and so forth. So I think what you may be referring to is Hatha yoga. Which is the yogi yoga that we commonly see that practice in yoga studios around, where it's uh, you do stretches and you make yourself limber and so forth like that, and there are these poses called asanas in hatha yoga. What's interesting is that hatha yoga in the school of the philosophy of yoga, the ancient Hindu yoga school right. of yoga is really a subset of Vraja Yoga, which is the meditational yoga, the kingly yoga, because it is an enhancer. It is viewed in that school that, that to have a, a good fit limber body is a benefit toward doing proper meditation. So that if you're, if you're let's say, not well or you're, you're suffering some, some ailments or this or that then that's going to have a negative effect on your ability to meditate or to reach meditative uh, higher states of meditative consciousness mm -hmm. so the but get back to yoga i i did practice hatha yoga for some years before i gave it up uh, and i enjoyed it a great deal and it, you know it is basically uh, a matter of of stretching oneself into pretzels like shapes and and uh, alleviating lots of stress and uh, limbering up the body and the joints and the nerve endings and the nerve systems and all of that. So it's a it's a greatly beneficial tool for anybody to want to undertake Hatha Yoga. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. It, well, it does. I had heard you mention it a, a few times um, and I thought, well, I'm going to ask and see where it fits in. Now, yeah. I thought this was a great 
question here because I, I don't always go through the questions here, but I knew we were going to be talking about some higher concepts tonight. And it, what this question says, and I think it's an awesome one, is how is love understood by those on the higher spiritual path and what role does it play? We've kind of touched on it, but book. interesting that you should ask. Because there is, in fact, a chapter yes. in my book called Love and Hatred on the Higher Spiritual Path. <laughs> okay, <laughs> these, these adepts that I mentioned who are have written some about this, uh, and H.P. Uh, Blavatsky, incidentally, was a chela of one of these adepts. Uh, she was not herself an adept, but, but was sort of an agent of, of them who wrote all of the works that she wrote in the late 19th century. The adepts themselves in some of their letters make reference to uh, love and hatred as being um, two uh, frequencies in a sense on the opposite end of a pole. So there's, it, it has to do with the polarity of love and hatred and everything in between. And it, you know, in between love and hatred, you've got what I guess, we refer to these days as mixed emotions, right? Absolutely. Um, but but that what they are literally are emotions. Love is an emotion, and hate is an emotion. It's something that we feel. But according to these adepts, there is something something profoundly unique about love and hatred as emotions, and that is that they are immortal emotions. In other words, most of the emotions that we experience in our lives die when our body dies, just as our lower minds die and our identities die. Those all are gone with, with the wind. Once we, once, when we die, the first three bodies of the, of the seven, the first three principles of the seven principles die right away. And then the last two sort of disintegrate until we're left with the, the last three, which are the Atma Bodhimanas, that's the reincarnating ego. But the, the fourth principle, which is the, the seed of the emotions, so-called the, the, the Kama Rupa in the Sanskrit term, is the seat of love and emotion, and love, I'm sorry, love and hatred. And they are the only emotions that survive the, the death and rebirth. So they tag along with that higher spiritual uh, reincarnating entity going through all these uh, incarnations. And there's a karmic element built up with them. And when I say love in that respect, I'm not talking about lust or, or the Greek god Eros. I'm talking about what the Greeks referred to as agape, which is universal and unconditional love that right. is love the kind of love that the sun gives the earth the sun doesn't discriminate where it sends its healing and warming rays and its life-giving rays everybody gets it and that's the same kind of love that unconditional love is you love everyone regardless of who they are where they are what they did what they do anything you love all sentient beings animals everything right that's unconditional love that's the love that reincarnates the other kind of personal love that that doesn't that doesn't really that just sort of disintegrates right so 
those are immortal emotions. Where is, does hatred fit in there, though, after you die? Yeah, that's I've been I've been really struggling with that. Uh, that's a very difficult subject, and I I still haven't fully been able to make sense of it. I have Apparently, great respect for you with that answer. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I was just going to say no, I have no, great no. respect for you with that answer. Yeah, but just let me bring this this notion of Avicii back. You know, people don't go into Avicii on the basis of one bad life or incarnation. That that gets carried along too. And so, if the hatred that they feel and they they live in the sort of all the self-centeredness in various incarnations collects to a certain point, I think that's the point where that person goes into Avicii, not on the basis of one single incarnation, because that's too drastic a, a response for for one lifetime maybe unless you're adolf hitler or something i don't know but but for the most for most people that kind of hatred i think builds up uh and then it, you know you, you you pay the penalty for that at some later point in your as you trans as you go through this transmigrational process from entry into human form to exit into from the human form and all the incarnations in between that you, you have been absolutely fascinating to talk to, Bill. Even Kevin said, listening to William has been fascinating. He said the same thing. Great guest and show. I hope you'll come back sometime. I would. I have so many questions. I wanted to ask you about Kundalini awakening. There was a million questions I had. So I would love to have you back sometime if you'd be open to it. Nothing like putting you on the spot. <laughs> That's right. I'm being recorded now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Maybe. Well, who knows? We'll I don't see. Know, working on another book, or like I said, I have so many questions, and I'm sure others will too. Like I said, I've got a really sharp audience. I know I do, and like they love to talk about things, deeper concepts, sometimes lighter things. But I knew they'd have some good comments and questions. But we are out of time. So, where can people buy your book? Where can they find you? And do you have anything coming up? Uh uh, well, I have got a couple of, uh, of seminars and, and presentations, but no new books on the line. Okay. They can find my book on, you know, where people sell books, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Uh, just go in and type in The Higher Spiritual Path in William Quinn, and you'll find the book. Um, unfortunately, I am not a person that has inhabited the social media uh, world very much. I realized that. I was trying to find you. <laughs> If at all, you know, I, I I don't have any beef for anybody who does it. Just you know, I'm I'm I study and write and meditate, yeah. and, and I, I I'm not very good at, at promotion or self promotion. So um, I leave that to Gavin and other people. <laughs> and uh, but I appreciate the effort behind that. I just put for a link because I always do for write up yeah. where with oh I think it's O Publishing it's called now yeah, it's O Books O Books yeah, yeah. O Books yeah it's uh it used to be called John Hunt Publishing I know yeah. during the course of my my book it was in the production stage somewhere they they I guess they got bought out or something now it's called called Collective Ink Books yes you're right you're right yeah, well, yeah. I put a link there to find you oh okay. You're yeah, on Amazon too. I found you on Amazon. I found you all over the place. Yeah, 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 find, yeah. find Bill. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being here. You've been absolutely a wonderful guest, and I love talking talking about talk 
that my mo if my mouth would work. I love talking about topics like this. And I want to thank everybody that was here tonight. Thank you for the great comments and questions that you left for Bill and for welcoming. We had somebody new that popped into the chat tonight. And thank you for being so kind to the new people that are here. And for everybody that's listening, we'd love to have you come join the conversation as well. Yep. Kaysen said, yep, Bill should come, should come back. I love listening to Hindu philosophy. Kathy, great show. A lot of, I always know when I have a really interesting guest because people will put lots of comments and I'll probably get a ton of messages afterwards too. That's usually what happens. So I want to let you know um, if you would like, um, pop back in same time, same space next week with the Angel Rock, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on uh, UFO Paranormal Radio Network also. Um, Dave was in the chat. It was Dave. I could tell by his comments. Uh, David Hansel and I will be back Thursday night with the thing at the foot of the bed at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I have another great guest for you. I forgot to check for next week for the Angel Rock. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me on facebook.com forward slash the Angel Rock. I'm on all social media platforms, YouTube. Kaysen, you even figured something out new. I do have a website on Wix, which I don't give out because it's a long title and I don't use it, but you message me on there. So you can message me even through the Wix app if you have to. So um, I, that's to book a reading. I do teaching and mentoring. I do energy healing and all kinds of things like that. And I have two groups on Facebook, Paranormal University for all things paranormal, the Angel Rockers uh, Tribe for more spiritual type things some of the things we've talked about tonight and don't forget dave and i have that group started now with the thing at the foot of the bed so you guys can put your pictures questions comments whatever you like for thursday night show i believe we promised you we'd talk about animals so i'll have to remind dave about that okay everybody so thanks for all being here don't forget stay tuned if you're enjoying what you're listening to philip and julie syracuse are up next with the horsefly chronicles much love and light to everybody out there have a great rest of your day evening or morning wherever you may be Again, Bill, thank you so much for being here. See you next. Thank you, Laura Lee. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, I really enjoyed having you here. So did everybody else.